I always think about this time of year when I'm preaching around Thanksgiving, especially right after Thanksgiving, that um, I look around at folks and I don't know of a better word, but uh, it looks like they have turkey and ham hangover. And, and uh, I know it wouldn't be your family, but sometimes you have family hangover. You know, you're just glad to see them come, glad to see them go. And uh, you're trying to get everything in order. And like at um, my house, the little elves are busy trying to get the house transformed into a new season. And so there's mass chaos from one to the other. And so you kind of get a little bit of a hangover in that. But um, I never get over the goodness of God. Uh, never get over how thankful that I am. Undeserving as I am, that God blesses us so much, meets our needs, takes care of our needs, and going to take us right on into glory. How about that? That's wonderful. If you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you would turn with us to Genesis chapter number 11. Genesis chapter number 11 and verse 27 and um, just hold on for there for just a minute. Last few weeks, I guess it's been several weeks, I've had the privilege of um, filling pulpits and going into different churches and, and after pastoring for 25 years, you know, getting a chance to do it, revivals and things. But to do it um, regularly and like I've been doing it for a while, it's a little unusual. But I always say that it's a privilege uh, to fill uh, that pastor's pulpit, but none greater than being at my own home church. And I think I've been here long enough now that it feels like home. And so it's such a privilege to fill in for Pastor Bob today and to bring God's word to you and pray that God will speak to you through the chaos, which might be my words to you today. But nevertheless, God has a message for you. I know when we come in sometimes and we sit down and we get our Bible out and we're ready to mark something, a good, you know, good illustration or a, a word that uh, we hadn't heard before or just something else. But I wonder how many times we come in and anticipate, you know that word anticipate? How many has anticipated something? I mean, really anticipated something uh, in such a way that you'd slide to the edge of your seat. How many times have we ever come to church and been that, you know, just have that anticipation? It's not waiting for, what was it, Heinz 57 to come out? You know, just that anticipation. I wonder how many times we come to the house of God and we're really anticipating God to speak to our hearts. Well, I pray today, as we read and go through God's word together, that we have an anticipation that God would truly speak to us and move us in such a way that we would move, that when we left this place, things would be different. Well, in Genesis chapter 11, we'll begin reading in verse number 27, if you would read with me together. These are the family records of Terah. Terah fathered Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in his native land in Ur of the Chaldeans during his father Terah's lifetime. Abram and Nahor took wives. Abram's wife was named Sarah, and Nahor's wife was named Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkah. Sarah was unable to conceive, and she did not have a child. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, who was Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. The Lord said to Abram, chapter 12, verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land and I will show you. Let me read that again because I think sometimes as we're reading this and get an understanding of Abram, we miss this point here. The Lord said to Abram, go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. You remember Lot? Okay. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the Oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the land, to the Lord, who had appeared to him. From there, he moved on to the hill country east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, Ai on the east, he built an altar to the Lord there, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Aram journeyed by stages to the Negev or to the south. Years ago, when I first came to, uh, to the beach, we used to go to Long Beach. When I was a young fella, uh, many, many years ago, we would take a tent, a two-room tent, and we would pitch it, Ocean Island, Oak Island, I mean, uh, used to have a place where you could pitch tents on the actual ocean front. And so we would go to pitch our tent, and I remember my dad always looking to see which way the wind was blowing. He would look which way the street was from the lot that we were in. He would look and see which way the driveway was as people were to come in. He would just look around at the bathhouse and restaurant. He would, he would take all this into consideration before he pitched the tent. Now, how many thinks that is important? How many's ever been camping? Let's get you there. Let me tell you, if you've ever gone camping and you set up your tent on a rocky place, what's that going to mean? It's going to be an uncomfortable night. It's not going to be a good night. And if you've got a little breeze and it's in the summertime, what's going what's to happen if you put your flat side with no windows, no way of the air getting into that tent, what is it going to be like that night if you pitch your, pitch your tent in the wrong direction? It's going to be a hot, musky night. Listen, several years ago, when uh, the Presleys were with us, we uh, took a bunch of youth from here on a mission trip to Denon, France, just about four hours south of Paris. And we took uh, our youth, and we had a lot of youth from England, and we paired up with a lot of uh, youth from uh, France and a couple other countries, and since there were limited means in where we could stay, the adults stayed in houses, homes, or whatever there. But the youth, which it was exciting to them, all we just threw them together, regardless of nationality, we just threw them together in tents. And they set up their own tents, set up tents all over the camp there. And I remember one night, and uh, Preston, you'll probably remember this, there was a bad storm that came in. I mean, the whole thing. Thunder, lightning, wind, heavy rain, all those things come in. And I was mourning for them as I was in my nice warm bed inside an enclosed roof on house. But nevertheless, it didn't stay like that long because it wasn't long before I heard knocking at the back door. Well, some of the kids had set their tents, and it was kind of in a valley there out behind where I was staying, and in that valley, what usually happens when it rains in a valley? Yeah, some of you older ones might remember the, uh, was it the uh, Little Rascals show when they had about eight or nine of them on the bed, and all of a sudden water showed up? Well, this is what happened in that Every one of the kids, I know my son was one of them, and their eyes began to pop open probably, and they're looking around because most of them couldn't speak the other language. Even the ones from England said, we don't speak English. We speak American. 
Sometimes you get y'alls and those and thems and stuff like that. They just didn't understand. So they began trying to communicate, but they figured out there was water running through their tent because of where they had pitched their tent. So they were knocking on the back door, and it wasn't but a few minutes that we heard another big boom, and, and uh, about the time we heard the boom, I heard knocking on the front door. I remember it was Grace Presley and uh, Ruth Now and a couple of other girls that had they were knocking on my front door. They were beating on my front door. They were not knocking. They were beating on my front door. And they said, it's a storm out here. So nevertheless, in just a few moments, they came inside. And it wasn't long before things began to settle down. And we went out and looked and tried to get them back in their sleeping quarters so I could go back to sleep and, uh, and uh, went outside. And we had to take that one tent that was in the valley that had filled up with water because of the way they had they had set that tent and they began to look at where the water and the wet ground was and what would happen if it happened again and they changed the direction changed the position of their tent well I remember the other ones that had come in from the front they went out to look at their tent their tent was no longer where it had been during the wind and the storm it had just pulled those stakes up because they had set it out in the open no trees no buildings nothing around to block the wind and it had just uprooted that tent and it had just tumbled it across the campus and it ended up almost at the front door of another one of the homes that were there. Now I bet if I had asked this question at that point, is it important where you pitch your tent? I bet, I bet every one of them would have said absolutely yes. Well let me ask you this this morning. Is it important where you pitch your tent. I'm not sure if you're serious about it. You know, it's not only just a canvas place that you can go in and stay a night, but you know, the tent in Abram's life was much more significant than that. I'm not going to over-spiritualize things today, but I want you to see the picture, I love the Old Testament because it paints pictures. And I like to look at pictures. So, How many likes to read versus watch the movie? I know some of you always have those raise their hand that like to read. The one that watches the movie is like... How many was in high school and the, and the teacher said, Here, read this book. Your first thought was, where do they sell the cliff notes? See, I get some reaction out of you. That's good, Mike. Just being honest this morning. See, it's important where we pitch our tent. And so it's been my experience that that's one of the most important things. Now, in chapter 12, it gives us a glimpse of what God had spoken to Abraham before his journey begun. But as he lacked total obedience and brought along the whole family, as it says here, and he had come to a place called Haran, or Haran, the Bible says he dwelt there. Another translation is he settled there. Now, it's kind of interesting that the name uh, Haran means comfort. So in his journey, as God had spoken to him, spoken to Abram, and said, listen, leave this place in which you've known all your life takes great faith. But he says, and leave behind all your belongings, all your family, leave them all behind, all your relatives, leave them all behind, and go to this place in which I will tell you. Now, we know that he was obedient, and we always play up Abram's obedience, but we don't notice sometimes his disobedience. And we know this will come back to haunt him later on. But as he traveled, God had not st said stop in this place called Haran. But yet the Bible says that Abram and his family stopped there. I think primarily, this is my inflection on this, I think primarily because of his father and his father maybe wanted to stay there. And so they settled there. He'd camp right there. Now, we could camp there this morning if we wanted to. In other words, 
How many times have God called you to go somewhere or to do something and you obediently begun, began, but you stopped short of it? You just find a comfortable place and you set up shop. You find a comfortable place and you pitch your tent. And that's exactly what he did. I wonder how many times on our way to where God has called us that we lack full obedience and we just settle. Settled on the edge of God's promise, but not in the center of God's promise. First message I ever preached. When God called me to preach. I asked me, they asked me to preach, and what is your first message? Pastor Mike, you may remember your first message. This is all I can remember of it. Because it was, a, it was a mess. But all I could bring out was finding the center of God's will. Not getting to the edge of God's will, but finding the very center of God's will. To not settle for less than God had intended. What is that called? When you settle for less than what God has called you to do, that's called compromise. It brings us loss of our blessings in life. It brings us uh, uh, to a new consideration of what God wants us to do. Now, several things are going to mark Abram's life. I want you to get these things. We'll get to the message in a minute. Several things will mark Abraham's or Abram at this point's life and much of his life. One is faith. It took great faith. I don't want to belittle Abraham's or Abram's faith. It took great faith for him to pick up and to leave Ur of the Chaldeans and begin to move to a place that God has not yet really told him about. When you move, what is one of the first things that you do? If, I know a lot of us have moved. Not many of us were born and raised in Brunswick County. I know there's a sprinkling here. But for the most part of those of you that are here or watching online today, you have moved at one point or time. What is one of the first things you ask? Now, the dad may ask one question. The mom may ask another question. You know, the dad may ask, hey, where can I get my car fixed? Where's this? Where's that? Mom may say, hey, how close am I to a Walmart? We're asking then, you know, what about the schools? Boys and the girls are asking, what about athletics? What about band? What about all these things? They're asking different questions. But listen, God had called Abram and said, listen, I'll tell you where you're going. You just get busy moving. Great faith. Another one that marks Abram's life, and we overlook this sometimes, and that's deception. He felt it safer to deceive than to trust God's practice and his promise. Remember about when they would go into a different place and they would ask him who Sarah was? Remember that? Did you ever notice that? Oh, she's my sister. He would never tell his wife because they were afraid that they'd kill him and take his wife as their own. So he was putting his life and said, listen, it's, they're not going to do anything but, but try to uh, be nice to me if that's my sister in hopes that maybe they can marry her. But it didn't always work out. So deception will mark him. Another thing is the tent. Who usually has a tent? I know we don't have it as a, as a general thing now. I know the uh, soccer. How many's watching the FIFA World Cup 2022? I know we're not a big soccer nation, but it's getting there. But if you've seen the, the big um, place where they're playing most of the matches at, or all of them, I guess, they're showing it. It's like a Middle Eastern uh, tent. That's what it looks like on the outside. And what does a tent kind of represent? It represents um, pilgrimage. A stranger may be in a foreign land. So that's one thing that's going to mark Abram. He's, he's ongoing. He's a mover. He's uh, journeying on. The next thing is an altar, which would mark him as a citizen of heaven. Now, we've got several things that mark him as a citizen of the world, but there's one that marks him as a citizen of heaven, that worship God. Now, Abraham's life from God's first call is an open book. How many would like everything we did written down? 
just the nice stuff. But everything, he's an open book, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It shows his great acts of faith and his faults and his failures. And I pray, as I look at this message, that this not be an excuse for us. Say, well, Abraham blew it many times, false failures over and over. He didn't do the right thing. Don't let it be an excuse for us to do the same thing, but let it be a warning on our pilgrimage. Notice his faith by his actions. I think James talked about that. I think Paul talked about that, how they work together. G.A. stuttered. Uh, Kennedy says, faith is not just believing in spite of evidence. It's obeying in spite of consequences. Now, Abraham made many actions to move forward, even as we see from these few verses. He wanted to. He mentioned the word departed, went forth, passed through, removed, journeyed. He was always wanting to move, and at times he did move, but just not often in the right direction. Let's take a close look at his journey this morning. I guess we can jump there this morning. Just take a, a uh, I guess, let's, let's get to the place of where his passage begun. In verses 4 and 5, you can see that Abram's faith had waned as he languished in his spiritual walk in Haran. Remember, that's a place he was not supposed to stop, but he did anyway. But it couldn't have been a total loss in that God still blessed him in such an amazing way with more people and animals and, and all those things. We can see God's mercy and grace. Here's a point. I marked this one down in my Bible, and I've got it in my notes. Blessing is not always an indicator of obedience. Did you hear that? You think, well, God's still blessing even in my obedience, and so it must be okay. Don't make that mistake. That's not always true. We can see that God blessed Abram financially by his many possessions that he had now, but that was not putting his stamp of approval on what Abram was doing. God has the ability to bring good even in disobedience. But this shouldn't serve as a crutch for disobedience, but as a driving force for our obedience. But even in Abraham's great faith, he still did not fully surrender and forsake all. What does the Bible say he took or who he took? Lot. Now we know how that one kind of turns out. Not forsaking all would certainly prove to be a problem that he would eventually have to deal with. Now Abram's newfound faith is much like ours in that we sometimes will not fully rely on God and his words. We often treat God's words not as a definitive statement, but we often see God's word as simply nothing more than a suggestion. Well, that's a good suggestion, God, but I've got my, got my own direction. So for whatever reason, um, Abram was not distracted at this time and was ready to move on to God's promise. Now, after uh, the Bible uh, kind of concludes here, after about five years, he's hung out in this place. He's got sidelined. He's staying in this place, Haran, uh, which means comfort. He's got sidetracked in this place of comfort. But for whatever reason, now he's decided in his journey to move forward. Just as sometimes we find ourselves distant and distracted and disobedient in Haran. And I, I could say many times and amazing God brings to your life and brings to your mind how many times you've been in Haran. God called you on to move to a certain place or a certain position or a certain service or certain church or certain uh, whatever it might be and you found in that process you left here and you were heading for the promised land. You saw it before you. God had just given you that vision had allowed you to see where you were going, know that heaven was your final destin destination, and you found some place of comfort along the way, and you sit down. Sat down. Sought down. Whatever word you want to use. But you stopped. 
just hung out there for a while. There's nothing wrong with, wrong with taking a little bit of a rest at times. It says he took five years. Actually, he stayed until his father. One, who knows if uh, Terah had lived another 20 years, he might have still been there. Only God knows his heart and what his intent was, but he stayed there till his father died. He stayed in distracted and disobedient. But at this point, if you look at verse 6, the promise is seen. Man, sometimes we have to receive a promise. Remember Paul talking about, I see men walking as trees. He said, well, Paul, you need a second cut. You need to take another look. How many times have we ever seen something and and we thought we saw something, but we had to kind of focus in a little bit more? Oh, more and more am I having to do it as my eyes keep going? I'm finding out something. This is just a good marriage tip. You know what makes a good marriage? When your eyes start failing and your ears start failing. And I didn't get any amens. I didn't get any. Phyllis, I thought I'd get them. You said that. So, all right. Anyway, his promise is seen. Verse 6 says, Abraham passed through the land to the place called Shechem as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. For whatever reason here, Abram just passed through. Can you believe that? He just passed through the land of promise. He just passed through the place where he was supposed to stop and set up camp. Here, let's put it into modern day vernacular. He just saw heaven and passed right on through. Can you imagine? Now, I don't know what his problem was. I don't know if he had questions. What did Abraham expect to find in Canaan? Did he find, expect to find an unoccupied place that could be had without a battle? I want to tell you today, you think heaven, it's just going to come. We don't have to have a battle. You've not lived the life that I've lived. You've not even paid attention to your own life. If you get to heaven, I want to tell you, your salvation may be sure if you've prayed to receive Christ and trust as him as Lord and Savior. But I want to tell you, from here till you get there, it's a battle, folks. So I don't know what Abram was expecting as he got to this place, the promised land, and he had passed right on through. Had he misread God? I don't know. It doesn't say here. Had Abraham made a mistake? Had he taken the wrong exit? Had he gone on the wrong bypass? I don't know, but he passed right on through. Abraham was sitting on the threshold of the promised land and he could possess it for now. Sometimes as Christians, we're on our way and we just pass right on by. Now, I don't say we go through heaven and come back. I'm saying that we just don't see heaven right before us. We ignore it. We miss it. The promise is given. The promise is seen. How many times have you ever read about heaven? How many times have you ever heard some eloquent, eloquent pastor, preacher, revivalist, evangelist stand up here and just paint out the most beautiful picture of heaven? How many's ever heard of heaven? Let's get there. How many thinks it's a wonderful place? How many's ever read that the streets are going to be of gold? How many? How many's ever read what heaven's going to be like? How many is anticipating heaven? Folks, I'm not sure. I think some folks are not even going to be happy when they get there. Gold, gold prices are going down. We ought to have silver roads. Some folks are not even going to be happy. So for whatever reason, Abram has passed through, and he didn't, he didn't even stop. He passed right on through. The Bible said Abram came to a place called Shechem around the terebinth tree of Moreh. Well, the, the places were ideal for Abraham at this point in his journey, which Shechem means a, that means a shoulder, maybe a shoulder to lean on. It means a, a place of strength. The Oak of Moray had another meaning, and it meant instruction. So Abraham found himself in a place of strength and instruction, and he needed it. And so at this place, he built an altar. 
Why an altar? Hey, why an altar? Some of our kids, I've mentioned this before. Christy, I'll try to say this now. She's, I'm used to walking. Why do we call this an altar? The kids don't even understand what an altar is anymore. I enjoy children's church. I reckon that's on my intellect level, Miss Jane. I absolutely enjoy. One thing I enjoy about children's church after pastoring so many years is I don't have any kids that age, and I get excited when I see everybody else's kids going down, and you never know what they're going to say. Anticipation right there. They don't know what an altar is. I don't know what it's for. We've not taught them what an altar is. We've not shown them what an altar is. But in Abram's life, it was a place of sacrifice, a place of rededication, a place to seek God's continued presence and guidance, a place to bring special worship to the Lord, a place to acknowledge his dependence on the Lord, a place to praise the Lord, a place where we could bear witness to all that were there of the goodness and dependability and reliability upon God himself it was a place that we could meet and felt like we could meet God face to face. If you hadn't seen that at an altar, you need to go back. The Old Testament talks about, and some of you older folks may have heard this, some of you younger folks have never heard this, grabbing hold of the horns of the altar and don't turn loose till God has spoken and cleared your spirit. That's a place. That's what an altar's for. You might find the strength and instruction we need to deal with what lies ahead in our journey if we could find an altar. But, let's get on with the scriptures here. But, though his directive is set, and he has passed through the promised land, now brought himself to a place of strength, a place of instruction. The Bible says clearly here, he pitched his tent. Now we're getting with the message. The rest is kind of background. We're getting to the message about where to pitch your tent because this is important. This is important. We're getting instruction. It's important. Things today, I, I have some older friends, and I love to cook outside. Phyllis, don't confuse that. And so some of those older gentlemen that have cooked for years outside, grills, smokers, pig cookers, whatever it might be, you know, they tell me those things of here's the way I, I you know, I got the thermometers on my uh, pig cookers, and and I look and follow thermometers. I got a good friend that's, um, see, he's 82 now. He don't like thermometers. He lays his hand on it. And he'll tell you. He can, he can tell you what the temperature is, and I've tried it. Just laying his hand on it. You know what? I've got those recipes down. I've got those little tidbits and tips and tricks and all the things. I wrote those things down because I, I wanted to have them. These are some of the things you need to find out about where to pitch your tent. If you look at verses 8 and 9, his position is chosen. And here's where he chose. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. So Abraham journeyed going on still toward the south. Okay, we have a position. Didn't say anything about the north. But it does give us what's on the west. What's on the west? Did you get that? Which way is the west? This way? What's on the west, did it say? Bethel? What does Bethel mean? Anybody? Some of my scholars. What does Bethel mean? House of God. You ever see El Bethel? That means God of the house. But Bethel. So on the west, he has the house of God. Now he's got, over on the east, what has he got? 
AI. Two little letters. AI. It's on the E's. Anybody know, any of the scholars know what AI means? Heap of destruction. House of destruction. So on one side, he's got the house of God. On the other side of his tent, he's got AI, a heap of destruction. Boy, that's where we find ourselves most of the time, isn't it? We'll find ourselves between the house of God and a heap of ruin or a heap of destruction. And that's where he found himself. But those were not the two most important locations. Since it does not mention the north ear from which he came, that's in the past. That's all the things he's gone to other than Canaan land, which is behind him. He has already gone through. Now, which way did he point the opening, the door? What do you usually do for you campers? I know we've got a lot here. A lot of them going camping this weekend. What do you usually do? Right outside the door is where you set up camp outside, isn't it? You set your chairs, right? You maybe even put your grill out there. Now, your big screen TV's on the side of the thing. So no, that's a whole different story. But you, you, you set up right outside. And what is your view? If you got west and east and you set up out here, what is your view? It's the same one they've got. It's written out here so we wouldn't miss it. The south. Now, I'm not going to try to over-spiritualize this, but this is what happened primarily when the Bible refers to the south. Going down to the south. It's not a good place. And I know there's some, there's some good uh, connotations with the south in other places, but primarily when it mentions the south, it's not going into a good place. And Directly, so they wanted you to know between the west over here was Bethel and over here was a heap of ruin where he was caught. He pointed his tent and facing down toward Egypt, down toward the wilderness. Which direction do we usually go? Where do we usually set up? What is our eyes usually on when we face a certain direction? That's simple, isn't it? We're going to face the direction which we faced our tent. Same thing Lot did. Go back and read about Lot. He laid his eyes on because you go back and where he set up camp, he had set his eyes on Sodom and Gomorrah. He had set his eyes because that's the way he was heading. That was the direction he was going. And it was the easiest place to go. And guess what? There's where he ended up. Now we know the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey said, here he is, he's set up between the west in Bethel and the heap of ruin in the east, but he's got his eyes on the wilderness, he's got his direction on Egypt, and he is not looking behind him at the promised land. Hmm. Abram left the place of promise moving south and he pitched his tent facing that dry, arid wilderness of Egypt. Now once again, here's an interesting thing. I want to get these inter I don't want you to miss any of this this morning. Here's another interesting thing. Once again though, he built an altar. He built an altar. That's a good thing, isn't it? He's going to church. Even though he's got his eyes going south, he's already passed up where he should have been. He's already seen the promised land, but yet he has passed out, passed on, and is going a different direction. We would think, boy, he's, he might have headed that direction. He's going to church. That's a good sign, isn't it? He built an altar. But even then, he continued on south, away from the place of God's promise. To this, his tent is pitched between the house of God 
and a heap of ruins, but he's still facing Egypt. And to me, it even indicates that that's probably where he's going. And since I've read the rest of the story there, I know that's where he's going. And I know it doesn't turn out well. And neither when we are caught between wherever we pitch our tent is usually where we are going. He now finds himself at a crossroads of which way to go. It seems that he's doing the right thing in coming to the altar of God, but the key thing to remember is that regardless of where we come to an altar or not, it's what you do when you leave. You with me? I won't confuse you this morning. Sometimes I know what I'm thinking, but, well, sometimes I don't even know what I'm thinking. How am I supposed to know if you know what I'm thinking? If I don't know what I'm thinking. But here's what I'm thinking. You with me? Sometimes you can still come to church, sing all the songs, pray all the prayers, shake all the hands, read all you can read, make all the notes. You can come to the altar and cry and mourn, and guess what? If God's breaking your heart, do it. Do it. But we leave those doors. And you know how I can say that with authority? Because I've done it. We can leave those doors, get in our vehicles, and head our way, and we're still going south regardless of what we just did. We just left the altar. We just left the house of God. We just were reminded of the promised land of God, and we still go away from it. We're still heading in the wrong direction. Now, I'm not going to blame, hey, it's the tent's fault. It's not the tent's fault. We blame the church. Well, I ain't going back to that church because I still went south. It's not the church's fault. Hey, remember this. It wasn't just Abram and Sarah. He's got Lot, and he's got all these other people he was responsible for. So it was not just him. The rest followed him. How many of you have ever heard this big lie, the devil don't hurt me? Only affects me. Uh, that's one of the biggest lies the devil's ever told. Everything you do affects somebody else. You know what I have found? We um, enjoy going to, I've noticed, going to football practice. Taven goes to football practice. Now they finish. They go Monday night, Tuesday night. Thursday night. A lot of you go to soccer practices and baseball practices and everything else. And you show up, and I like football practice. Uh, bring food. They didn't care what the kids were doing. They were bringing food. They'd set up. They were just having a ball. It was like a family reunion every time you got together at practice. Go, Who? The kids right there running and sweating, and the parents are eating and enjoying themselves. You know, but you notice something? I noticed that when we went to the Last game of the season, the Oyster Bowl. Everybody kind of waited around till I don't say there's team leaders, but to a certain extent, there's always team leaders. Might be a he or she or whatever. And you watch where they set up. Now, a lot of times it was a tent. Just a covering, but a tent. Now, the last night we went, it was about 35 degrees. So you watched which one had the largest heater. And they, wherever they set up, they would have friends. And we would set up in the same direction or way that they would set up close to them. So don't tell me just, hey, I'll set my tent and the rest of them can set their tent where they want to. A lot of them are going to follow your direction in setting that tent. They're going to set it right beside of you. They're going to set it right in your way. Some of us have been even so far as to see the promise of God, yet we pass right through it. So I just ask you this, this today, as simple as I can in this uh, short message. A lot of background, short message. Where's your tent? Where is your tent? Well, I can tell you, couple of the places that we find ourselves 
spiritually, we're between Bethel and Ai. We, we stand every day. And to not say you are is being naive. You stand between the house of God and the God of the house and a heap of ruins. Some of the decisions we can make can destroy our lives in just a few minutes. One decision can turn your whole family's life around, upside down. So you find yourself between Bethel and Ai. But those other two places can mean a world of difference. You can put your eyes on the world and on a place of comfort and out in the wilderness. Oh, it's exciting to get out in the wilderness. How many has ever been through a corn, ho a, a corn maze? We actually pay to go get lost. Think about it. People say, hey, they're naive enough. They'll pay us good money to go get lost. But it's kind of fun, isn't it? How many is there, what is those rooms they have? You can go in and, what is it? Escape rooms. They're making good money to go in a place to get locked in, and you've got to find your way out. Because it's an adventure, isn't it? It's exciting. We'll drive to Myrtle Beach or Wilmington. Hey, lock me in a room. Don't give me no clues, and let me see if I can't find my way out. That's fun. It's exciting. And Egypt, the place of the pyramids. Now, I know I've heard that Egypt um, back in some of the old preachers at the turn of the century when they were in writing, no tapes and didn't record it or whatever. They always associated Egypt with Las Vegas. I don't say it's like that now, but could be. But that's what they saw. The flashing lights, the excitement, the wilderness. Boy, it's fun, the adventure, going on to Egypt. Hey, there's great things there, and if nothing else, there's got to be a Walmart there. So you pitch your tent, and you face on toward the south. Wouldn't it have been something if he'd have just done a 360? Just turned his tent around. How hard would it be? Hey, before you set up, it's a lot easier to get that tent up and turn it around and look on the promised land. We might not be there yet, but that's where we're going. That's where our mind, our focus is. We've seen it. We, 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 we want to go back there. But I want to tell you, it's more difficult once you put those roots down. Once you set that tent up and you set those stakes in, how many has ever been and done this with me? We put it up, we got everything just right, and it ain't in the right location. You put it on the wrong lot. They told you when you came into the campgrounds it was lot 14 and you thought it was 13 and you set up in 13 and here's 14 and the one that comes in for 13 said, no, that's mine. You've got to move it and come over here. Man, how frustrating. How much trouble. Pull up all the stakes, pull up the tent, turn it around. But it can't be done. Some of us are in that place today. We just set up in the wrong place. We just got our eyes focused on the wrong things. And young people, I'll say yes, young people. It's just exciting. You get my age, the excitement's kind of gone in a lot of things. Where's your chin fixed this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. What do you see? What do you see? You know. You know which way your tent's fixed. You, you've got an idea. You know which direction you're heading. I want, to, I want to put my eyes on the promised land. I've had it there, and, but I just took my eyes off of it and simply didn't pitch the tent looking there. I pitched it looking another way. 
I'm going to ask you, head bowed and eyes closed, if you would stand to your feet. One thing that was, as I said, that marked Abram's life was an altar. And it would have been awesome if when he came to that altar, to the altar when he just found himself in the wrong position, he had turned his tent the wrong direction to have the gumption, the guts, and the want to, to just pull those stakes up and turn it around. That when he left that altar, things would be different, would be changed. That's what I'm asking you this morning. This altar's open. This place of prayer is open. This place of worship. This place of repentance. This place of forgiveness for compromise. It's open. Here's the easy part the hard part making up your mind and your decision say God I need my tent turned around I've got my eyes on the wrong thing just blew right past the promised land I've got my eyes on the wrong things God please help me to move this tent and get it facing in the right direction that help this morning just go to him he'll help you if you need somebody else to pray with you this morning I know there's deacons here there's other believers here be willing to pray with you Pastor Mike is here I'm here happy to pray with you this is the invitation All eyes open. Sing the invitation this morning. This is your time to respond. And I hope you will.